Forward by Roxane Gay In many ways, I take my health and my right to good health for granted. I am relatively healthy and able-bodied. I work out five or six days a week, often with a personal trainer. I have a home gym, and before that, I had a gym membership. I use a range of apps to track how many steps I take each day, what I eat, and the composition of my workouts, even though I never really do anything with the data. Sometimes I wear a Fitbit and feel just a bit more virtuous. I have robust health insurance, though as a fat woman, I am reluctant to visit the doctor given the persistent anti-fat biases of most medical practitioners. I have access to healthy foods. I go to Whole Foods and joke, like most people who shop there, about how it should be called whole paycheck. And still, I marvel at the produce, always arranged so neatly, artistically. I partake of the olive bar and get exotic cured meats to make charcuterie. I browse various juices and elixirs. I talk to the butcher about the provenance of the meat I buy and trust that nearly everything I buy from the store is organic, however vague and broad a distinction that is. Nearly everything in the store promotes the idea of wellness, as if by engaging in consumerism within the confines of Whole Foods, our lives will necessarily improve. There is a lot of money to be made in promoting the idea of a culture of health, and companies that claim to care about wellness recognize this. There are all kinds of commercials touting diets and fitness clothing and fancy gyms and juices and vitamin regimens that will help us become our best, most well selves. The constant refrain of this health-conscious consumerism is that, with the right combination of products and discipline, we will all be healthy. These entreaties are predicated upon the notion that health and wellness are within everyone's reach, it's an absurd fantasy, the kind of fantasy that can be actively nurtured only by people who can afford to buy into such a flight of fancy. I take my health and my right to good health for granted because I can afford to. It's a blessing. But it is also galling because good health should be an inalienable right, something everyone has access to regardless of who they are, what kind of body they live in, and their economic status. There was a moment during the presidency of Barack Obama when it felt like we, in the United States, were getting closer to the possibility of a more robust culture of health. The economy had improved, Obamacare became law, and suddenly millions of people who previously had no access to adequate health care were able to benefit from the expertise of medical professionals they could better care for themselves and their loved ones. This is not to say that adequate medical care is the singular hallmark of a culture of health, but universal health care would certainly be a step in the right direction. Unfortunately, we do not yet have universal health care in the United States. People's access to health care remains political and comes and goes with the will of those in power. And for those without means, it's far more than access to health care that makes a culture of health a distant, absurd fantasy. There are regions where, even if people have health insurance, there are not enough medical professionals to serve their community. Those in rural areas, 
are particularly hard hit by doctor shortages. In Flint, Michigan, residents still don't have access to clean water. In San Francisco, life came to a halt when the air quality was so dire, schools closed, and residents were warned to stay in their homes and wear air masks should they absolutely need to leave their homes. From the East Coast to the West, shorelines are eroding as the oceans rise. In cities all across the country, there are barren food deserts where people have little access to grocery stores and affordable fresh produce. When your life is constrained by enduring systemic oppression, it's hard to expect that people are going to care about health and wellness. But what if this world were different? What if we started taking better care of our planet, our community's infrastructures, and ourselves? What if we had the financial and emotional means to do so? What if a culture of health was more than a fantasy? In this anthology, writers imagine what a culture of health might look like. They imagine the dire consequences for humanity if we don't start building a true, widely accessible culture of health. They imagine what the world might look like if we misinterpret what a culture of health should actually be. They imagine how we might all thrive if we all had the inalienable right to participate in a culture of health that was actively supported economically, societally, politically. Two old friends, Bobby and Kyle, reconnect in Atlanta after years of distance in The Flotilla at Bird Island by Mike McClelland. The world is different from the one we know. The ravages of global warming clear and present. The ozone layer depleted. The air thick with pollution. Health is but a memory of what once was. But there is hope for a healthier way of life and ultimately a healthier world. In Frank Bill's The Masculine and the Dead, Guy, a widower veteran, is a man who values self-sufficiency, taking care of his body, his home, and his community in simple but effective ways. And slowly, he mentors a neglected young boy in a different way of life. Wellness is a cultural mandate in Yoon Ha Lee's The Erasure Game, where people must assiduously track their exercise, food intake, civic participation, and other markers of well-being. Households are incentivized to live healthy lives. As the story unfolds, we see that a culture of health is only a social good if participation is voluntary. In Hannah Lilith Asadi's Paradise, we are reminded that none of us are healthy if we remain indifferent to the suffering of others. Rita, a young Syrian teenager, lives with her brother Hussein and their father in Arizona recently resettled immigrants. She is mourning her mother and trying to take care of her father and brother, both of whom need surgery for untreated gunshot wounds. The family receives an invitation from Dr. Jean Al-Hadid, a local Syrian surgeon who welcomes new immigrants to the community. With the invitation comes the family's hope that they might receive the care they so desperately need. Theirs is a painful hope, because this suffering family does not yet understand that the American dream does not offer anyone the true rights they deserve. These collected stories offer thoughtful, 
compelling, unique responses to imagining today a culture of health tomorrow. They are hopeful and cautionary tales. They are, above all, a call to action, offering all of us the opportunity to rise to the occasion of contributing in the ways we can to a world where a healthier life is possible to all, where a healthier life is something we can all rightfully take for granted.